So then it was really up to the people who were there uh, that made it feel like you know it was it was a restaurant of limitless uh, possibility. Um, we were not bound by any cuisine. We were not bound by any rules in beverage pairings. All of this. So then, it was really up to us to find what was the most fitted and suitable and the coolest for the for the space. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. A few episodes ago, Anthony Power shared his story of being trapped in Australia when the lockdown first landed and having to let go of his life and restaurant in the United Kingdom. Isabel Little spoke of her desire to get back to Australia from the UK, but cancelled flights and lockdowns meant it took six months to make it back home. There are some that were trapped by circumstances abroad and have had little or no choice but to push on and try and forge a career and make the most of it. Ambrose Chiang is the owner of Project Ambrose Consultancy in Hong Kong. Ambrose, how are you going? Good, how are you, Anthony? Good, thanks for joining us. You were on a three-day trip to visit your mother for her birthday in Hong Kong, and then the lockdown happened in Australia and you got stuck. Yes, technically. (laughs) So basically uh, it was... Uh, I decided to move to Sydney uh, late February. Uh, basically, I I permanently moved to Sydney for three weeks in total. Um, wow. So I I still remember it was quite a rush uh, to try and you know find some work or try to get my life in balance. So you know the first place that I would think you know, a place that I can, you know, settle the quickest, uh, have a lot of support from friends. Uh, shout out to Kylie for that. Uh, she helped me a lot. So basically I was, uh, within two days, I moved permanently from Hong Kong to, uh, Sydney, back to Sydney, which is really nice. Um, I think I secured an apartment within, uh, three hours of searching online. (laughs) and it was yeah i remember i was staying in the hotel uh in sydney for two days and then i stayed at a friend's place uh for another two three days and then instantly uh i i was working uh on the floor at seobo just for a few nights and then i had a i had a apartment uh with me and then I signed the lease I got my my phone my bank and everything kind of sorted uh within just a few days so that was a pretty crazy time to try and get my life together in Sydney wow <laughs> and and literally a couple of weeks later you found yourself back in Hong Kong for for a brief trip and um yeah well it was it was really interesting cuz uh like during the time, like I was, I was on the floor at Seobo and then, um, of course it was very nice to go back, but then, uh, that was not part of the plan. And also I wanted to look for something a little bit more creative and cause I've been off the floor for, uh, almost a year and a half. And for me, it was, it was important to try to find something that is not on the floor that much. So, 
on that search, I had to talk to a lot of people. Um, and, and basically, uh, I was seeing, you know, a few possible options, uh, by week number two. And then, uh, week number three, uh, I was supposed to have some scheduled meetings and then, I knew that, well, my mom's 60th birthday was mid-March. So then uh, I kind of felt like, well, I was never supposed to be in Sydney at this time. And I was kind of uh, scheduled and planned to celebrate with her. Um, so then I flew back for three days. And then uh, second last day I was there, um, the the pandemic hit Sydney quite seriously um and it was obviously a, a big scare uh and i was thinking oh maybe i should just not go back for now um and then i had a i had a dinner with a few friends and uh one of the friends on the table had had contact with someone who had covid 19 um, so then the entire table had to go on a two week quarantine as well. <laughs> so within, within, you know, four days of being in Hong Kong and then I had to go into this two week quarantine in the hotel. Um, so that was quite fun. <laughs> How did you feel at that stage? You'd literally just set up a new life in a, in Australia and we're just getting going and you found yourself in quarantine for 14 days in, in Hong Kong. Yeah. Well, I, I only, cause I only planned for, uh, a three day trip and all I had was a carry on suitcase and everything else was still in the apartment, um, in Sydney. And yeah, it was kind of, okay. I will, I will, you know, I have moved to a few places before, so I guess I will survive for a bit. But then the first hit of in Sydney or in Australia was quite strong. So then, uh, and by that time, Hong Kong was quite uh, stable in terms of the COVID control. Um, so then, you know, my family was here. So um, it was kind of, I guess the right choice to just stay put and see how this thing plays out in Australia. And then I would, I would go back, you know, that would, that was the, that was the plan. And then to, to secure another job. And while I was in Hong Kong, then I would just try and go online and find as many jobs as I can. Um, so then I, when I go back, I can start working. You're still in Hong Kong at the moment and you started started your own business. But before we get to that, you mentioned briefly that you haven't been on the restaurant floor for a year and a half um, and your career was veering away from that. Can you tell us about why that is and, and that move that you made? Yeah, I think uh, the, the last restaurant floor I worked on was at Momofuku Co. in New York. Um and I moved to Hong Kong in 2019 uh, based on, you know, just kind of thinking that there is a, it's a time to change and kind of evolve into something a little bit more, I don't want to use the word creative, but something a little bit more different um, than just being, 
you know, in service every day and um, spending a lot of time on, you know, being present with the guests. Um, I guess even before when I was in Sydney, um, there there is a small part of me where I see myself more of a behind the scenes person um, rather than I'm quite an introverted person. Um, so when it comes to service, uh, if it involves things like wine and food um, that, you know, I, I'm a geek of, um, yeah, and, and that, that would light me up really nicely and I can talk all day about it and provide very good information and all that. However, when it comes to, you know, just being present with a stranger and, uh, you know, serving and, and engaging in conversation that has nothing to do with food and wine, then I suck. <laughs> so, so for me, it was kind of like, okay, uh, uh, here's a chance for me to move to Hong Kong. Um, cause during that time, like I, I was looking around, okay, what else can I do, uh, outside of a restaurant? Because I've never worked outside of a restaurant. Um, and I still would continue to want to work with food and wine and beverage and, you know, anything that has to do with the food and beverage world, I would still you know, be very interested in because that's kind of my career um, and the world that I want to live in. So moving to Hong Kong, um, where my family is, um, I stumbled upon a, a very strong and specialized and serious uh, burgundy specialist company. Um, and the the founder and owner, um, Julian Froger, who basically uh, helped me a lot in realizing how much more I can do outside of a restaurant. And with my work in wine and with all the things I've done, their portfolio, uh, it's something that I know a lot of, especially with the producers in each of their wines. Um, so then that are, that is already half of the job done. So for me, it's about representing uh, correctly and, you know, as kind of promote the producers as much as I can um, in the best way possible. So uh, for me, I was doing that on the floor and directly to the consumer already as a sommelier. But then now we're taking a step back and turn in Hong Kong, uh, I guess the general knowledge or exposure to certain uh, wines are much less. And for me to come in here uh, and be able to let the sommeliers in Hong Kong know that, hey, this producer is fantastic because of these points and it's great with this. I've used it in New York. I've used it in Sydney. Um, and yeah. I would represent the producers as I did before. So it's quite a nice uh, learning curve that is not too foreign. At least I know that I was a wine buyer uh, in Sydney, in New York for the restaurant group. I was, you know, I buy wine as a consumer. So then uh, to be on the other side 
as a distributor and importer really gives a lot more perspective on uh, both the producers and the whole supply chain. So that's quite an interesting part. Um, so that was a very nice period for me to see how to better, uh, you know, work on my own, really. So now, uh, then basically that has evolved into um, Project Ambrose Consultancy because when COVID-19 hit, it was quite a shock to, first of all, Hong Kong and Asia and um, Australia for sure. Um, it was not really a shock in Europe or the States. We're talking in maybe March or March till June. It was still quite a, you know, people were still talking that whether this is real or not um, in Europe and in uh, the U.S. So then when I established the business, it was quite interesting through a conversation with a producer. Um, and she was saying that, well, I've lost all my uh, income from the States and Europe because they're realizing that they will need to shut down very soon and all the restaurants and bars will shut down. So then they will not purchase from the distributors and the importers. And then the importers and the distributors will not be able to purchase wine from the producers. So then it really affects their income level. Um, and then they have too much inventory. So then they were talking and that I suggested, why don't, have you ever thought of coming into Asia? And they instantly said, no, uh, we don't think a lot of, we, we never found interest in, uh, especially in China and Hong Kong, that they, they think that, well, we don't see our wines being properly represented in those parts of the world because their their knowledge in wine is not as good or the wine cultures are not as mature as the US or Europe itself, which I believe that's true too. But then uh, when I mentioned that, you know, where I worked and my I showed them my old wine list and they said, okay, let's have a conversation and maybe you can help us line up a few uh, importers into Asia so then they can open a new market. Um, and then that turned into me reaching out to uh, my colleagues or my, you know, my network in Hong Kong and Asia for wine importing. And then that turned into helping them to represent the producer the best way because the wines have never been in Asia before. So then the experiences or the, or the kind of specs that people would have would be less um, apart from myself. So that really, that, so that really helped me to kind of first establish a business niche, uh, in Asia to really help, you know, finding the right importer for the right, um, uh, for the right producer. So that was kind of cool. What's it been like trying to link those, uh, different, uh, businesses, uh, during a pandemic where the hospitality and wine industries have been impacted so much in a uh, in an environment that uh, hasn't doesn't have the maturity or the wine maturity that you speak of. 
I think it it was also um, quite a eye opener to see that you know a lot of the distributors and importers in Hong Kong aren't actually that focused in uh, food and beverage trade accounts. So their major the majority of their income or revenue comes from private consumers. So that actually gave them a big edge because while Europe and the U.S. and parts of Australia um, have their shutdown and lockdowns and all the restaurants are shut, um, we all know that the retail business, that you know, business to consumer uh, stream was much stronger and it actually increased a lot. So in Asia, this has always been the case. So actually, it's it's a much better way of doing business uh, in a pandemic situation because businesses are already geared towards their private uh, clients versus the trade clients like the restaurants. So then it was actually much easier because people think that, okay, I don't have to go through this middleman uh, as a sommelier to really try something new. And, you know, a couple of wine importers in Hong Kong have really pioneered in, in reaching straight to the consumer and giving them as much experience in wine as possible. Um, whether it's through, you know, direct conversations, uh, being in Asia, direct conversations is the way to go. Um, and then with social media, with, you know, basically doing some tasting still, uh, that's been really working well in Asia, especially in Hong Kong. You've uh, briefly mentioned uh, Momofuku, Siobo, and also uh, Ko, which uh, we can talk about shortly. Um, very inspirational restaurants um, where you really sort of stamped your own authority on what you do for a living. But how did you get a start in the industry? Oh, I mean... Looking back, well, I, when I was in high school in Sydney, um, I, I remember, uh, it, it might sound cliche, but a lot of people uh, who are stuck in boarding school dorms have nothing to do but uh, watch videos on YouTube. <laughs> and, and I had no interest really in studying during that time. Uh, apart from playing sports and going running. Um, and I watched a lot of food videos, uh, especially with Anthony Bourdain and uh, uh, Jamie Oliver. So the two of them were, were like, you know, the beginning of, of food, you know, videos and TV shows. So I would just basically watch them, you know, every single night. Um, and then it slowly got myself into uh, liking this world of food. And, you know, uh, as I told you, I didn't spend that much time studying. So then um, my grades weren't that good. So for me, it was also to think, okay, my grades aren't that good. I'm not going to really excel in, you know, doing a degree in business or anything like that. And I really enjoy cooking and I really enjoy um 
you know, being involved in the world food and restaurants and traveling and all this. So I decided that I would I would apply for uh, Le Cordon Bleu in Sydney. So straight out, uh, it was it was a quite a nice timing because the first year that Le Cordon Bleu Sydney had the Bachelor of Business in uh, Restaurant Management uh, course as a degree was the year that I finished high school. So it was quite a nice timing to apply for that. And then, yeah, basically throughout, I wanted to be a chef, but uh, it was it was highly recommended by by my family to not pursue that. <laughs> so... Uh, we compromise on we compromise on being on the floor, which is a little bit cooler, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> so, so yeah, I I focus a lot on restaurant management, uh, but I took a huge interest in wine and uh, restaurant service. So that was when I met uh, uh, a person called Ivan Novak. Uh, he's a master trainer for the World Skills Restaurant Service, and uh, he was very inspiring. He helped me train on the competitions for World Skills, um, and that's where I met my very dear friend um, Jessica Martin and uh, James Odas of uh, Arc Wines. Um, yeah, so that's when we first met because she was my training partner for uh, restaurant service competitions. Um, and then there I was more involved with wine. So uh, I went into the Sydney Wine Academy to go through my uh, WSCT uh, level three to four. Um, and then at that time, Jessica was working at Momofuku Seobo. And basically she asked, you know, if you want to have a, try and have a look and for me it was kind of like a starstruck mo uh, moment because I've read and watched so much YouTube videos and read so much about you know the during that time it was when Momofuku was reaching the heights in the media and you know with with Noma and all these restaurants 50 best and it was really the the blow up of that world and for me to get a foot into that world was um, it was necessary because for me, when I think about um, during that time, for me, it was, okay, either I pack my bags, uh, I finish my degree, and I just go in a stage in Europe, um, or I go to Momofuku in Sydney. Those were the only two options I gave myself, basically. <laughs> so... So then, conveniently, I stayed in Sydney with Momofuku when I met Kylie and Richard um, Hargrave. So then, um, yeah, then then the rest is history. Uh, I started there, you know, from a, from a waiter position, and then uh, my interest in wine and food and you know that space was very inspiring. Um, yeah, and then that's that's how it took off. And I had great mentors uh, of Richard and, and Kylie being there and Ben Greeno and the A-team that we had. And um, yeah, and then that really gave me the perfect environment to, to thrive. Um, yeah.
Well, you ended up becoming head sommelier at Momofuku Sayobo, uh, and it's you know one of Australia's best. It's made a massive impact on our culinary landscape, and um, it's it's a little bit different to um, with Paul Carmichael as it was with uh, Ben Greener, um, but Kylie Javier Ashton is still there um, running running the ship. T- tell us a bit about that restaurant and why you think it made such an impact and what, what it was like to be part of that team. I think when 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 Ben was there, um, it was it was a very very uh, important restaurant in in Sydney because it was one of the only restaurants that had a connection or a direct connection to uh, the states. Um, and for me, it was it was quite a relevant space, and the food that it was doing kind of really represented um, what it, what Momofuku restaurants could be. Because uh, before I moved to the states, I've never been to the states, so I've never been to the Seobo restaurant was the first Momofuku restaurant I've been to. So I actually had no idea uh, realistically how a Momofuku restaurant should be apart from watching videos and reading and, and being in Seobo. Um, so then it was really up to the people who were there uh, that made it feel like, you know, it was it was a restaurant of limitless uh, possibility. Um, we were not bound by any cuisine. We were not bound by any rules in beverage, pairings, all of this. So then it was really up to us to find what was the most fitted and suitable and the coolest for the for the space. Um, I found, you know, it really paved way to a lot of restaurants in Australia and around the world um, that a, you know, kind of uh, high-end but casual space was possible. And, you know, being in an open kitchen space in a small restaurant uh, stuck in the corner of, you know, the food court of a casino is quite an uh, impressive space, I would say. Um, yeah, and then, you know, throughout the process of, you know, having been leaving the restaurant and then uh, having a period where uh, there was no head chef and then moving to meet Paul and, and help Paul uh, and the team to get back on on everything, you know, it was it was a tough time for sure for everyone, but we we really pulled through, and I felt that you know it was the most uh, important and significant you know achievement that I've witnessed and be part of um, because you know you really saw a space without a soul when there was no head chef, even though the food was still, you know, technically correct and great. And, um, but it was, it was quite a interesting, you know, moment to see that, Oh, a space really needs its people rather than, you know, we have the recipe and we produce great food and, you know, good wine. And that was it. So, it, that was very, very cool. And then, you know, with Paul being there and in the first year, you know, he was still finding his feet and 
uh, finding the ingredients that he needed. And like when we first met him, we kind of already know that this is going to be a huge success. But it just a it was just a matter of time, because you know meeting Paul was one of the most important you know moments in my life too, um, and for me to work with him was like one of the greatest honors, you know, especially during the first two years of, you know, him being in Sydney. So that was very cool. And then, and then, yeah, I departed. <laughs> well, the beverage program for any restaurant is really vital to the experience that diners have. And your role at Ciobo led to um, the evolution and moved to New York as beverage director. Tell us about putting a beverage program together and and what you did in New York. Yeah, I mean, that's quite a, something that I hold on to. Um, I mean, with Seobo uh, being in that space and with all the creativity and the freedom um, and being in Australia, in Sydney itself, it, it was quite a kind of very freestyle Um I mean, there there is a very uh, strict and strong framework of factors that I would consider, um, thanks to the teachings of uh, Richard Hargrave, um, who's also a serious geek when it comes to these things. So it was really nice. So basically, uh, in Sydney was like a training ground, really. You get to try a lot of different things, a lot of combinations. Um, in Sydney was, you know, whether it's natural wines, whether it's classic wines, whether it's sake, aged sakes, um, with sakes that we age ourselves in room temperature, uh, beers, ciders, uh, and then uh, basically non-alcoholic beverages that I make in the restaurant myself, some of them through fermentation, some of them through infusion, um, some of them just basically cooked stuff that's served chilled. Um, and yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work, but a lot of fun. Um, but then throughout the time there, uh, I think the best part was that, you know, with the beverage pairing, uh, especially with, you know, natural wine, because Seogo was one of the you know, most important places for natural wine in Australia, being one of the first to uh, purchase and to serve those wines. We had a big seller of, of natural wines and um, working there really gave me the chance to see, you know, per, for example, like one wine, um, I can open 60 bottles within, you know, maybe a month and a half uh, to pour on the pairing every single night. So then I would probably be responsible for opening and tasting up to 40 bottles within a month or two. So that gave me 40 experiences of the same wine. And, you know, with, with natural wine, you really see uh, some variance, small, small variance uh, when it's the greatest uh, uh, producers. Um, and you see through the, the trajectory of a life of a bottle, you know, from, you know, fresh opened to three days old to sometimes we keep it for 
two weeks just to see how the wines go. So for me, those were the learning experiences that I would not ever get anywhere else. Um, so throughout the the years uh, in Seobo was a lot of learning and, and documenting how all these wines uh, would react to temperature, react to, you know, cellaring and uh, how they would do uh, in different, you know, opening hours. So that was very cool. And then moving to New York at Co was obviously a very different restaurant, um, much bigger space. We do a lot more. Uh, the budget is bigger. Um, the wine list was very classic when I first moved there, um, which suited the New York, the New York palette very well. And for me was, I always wanted to explore, uh, more traditional, but the pioneers of the natural wine world. Um, there is a big fine line between what's made very well and what's made incorrectly. Um, and for me that there is a fine line and, but then there's also a small little pool of producers that are accepted and celebrated in, you know, classic drinkers, classic, uh, sommeliers versus natural wine drinkers and natural wine, uh, sommeliers. And I see myself right in the middle and there are a lot of wines that are just fantastic, you know, that has so much energy, um, coming from the classic world too. Um, so that's where I, I hit the, I guess, the point of difference from Sydney was, was that was the case for Co. Um, and it was kind of a decision that we made that I don't want to just move the beverage program of, of Seobo into Co because it wouldn't fit the city itself and wouldn't fit the food, most importantly, because um, uh, Sean Gray, the head chef at uh, Co, his cooking style is very different from, let's say, Paul or Ben before. So then um, to find a beverage program that would fit the food that he and his team produces is quite you know, different from my perspective. So then... Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, being in, in New York for the first time, uh, well, in the States for the first time, it was uh, it was nice to explore a lot of different things. There is obviously a lot of wines that you would never see in Australia uh, being there or a lot of wines that you've um, dreamed of trying uh, was available there in affordable prices. So it was quite a nice exposure as well. Well, you'd planned on uh, resettling in uh, Sydney and uh, found yourself uh, stuck in Hong Kong and you've created this business out of these circumstances. What's what's the situation for you at the moment? Do you see yourself staying in Hong Kong and building this brand or do you have plans to come to Sydney? Uh, I mean, it is that's a big question. I mean, with the company right now, um, I have two staff here um to help me with research and all that uh this consultancy business is i have a few clients in hong kong um they go from hotel to restaurant to wine importers to 
uh, wine producers who are in need of uh, referral in uh, Asia, and then a couple of people that I I have met who were clients uh, from before. Um, I help them with purchasing wine um, that would yield them some good investments in the future. Um, and then the occasional uh, private sommelier uh, gig uh, for people's homes. It does happen here too. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I do now. Um, and for me, it is very exciting. It's also very scary um, because uh, I don't have a track record to based on or um, to kind of rely on. You know, I'm working on my instinct quite often, but at the same time, uh, yeah, it is, it is quite exciting for me to, to think about coming back to Sydney. Um, I still think about it often because it is, you know, where I'm from and it's a city that I really love. Um, and I do miss my friends a lot. So that does happen. But then at the same time, for me, it's more like, okay, what would I do in Sydney, to be honest, or in Australia in general? Um, do I just go back on the floor to find a restaurant? And, and that's really it, you know, to go back to my kind of old life of uh, uh, being in a restaurant floor. I'm sure I'll be, you know, having fun. But then for me, that's not personal growth anymore. It's just finding something that's comfortable. Um because I think maybe after three, four months of being in a restaurant, I will probably be bored if I think if I think about it now. Um, and then for me, currently is really about helping people in the restaurant business or hotel business or anyone in wine to kind of educate and help them to see what I used to see. And for me, that kind of yields a much better, I guess, reward in my heart than, you know, just having a, a cool beverage program and to serve a guest and, you know, the guests had a great time and that satisfaction, I guess, it's less rewarding for me now um, to be able to help businesses to, you know, survive or succeed or um, evolve in this situation using my my skills and experience that I used to have I, I used to have and yeah so that's kind of what makes me feel alive now well Ambrose uh, you've had an extraordinary journey and um, it sounds like we're going to see a lot more of you um, in the in the coming years and um you know, if it's in Australia, people will be very lucky. I mean, I do, I do want to uh, maybe in the future um, set up a branch in Australia. You know, that would be something that I can dream of and and see the future of this company. Because you know, if if it does happen that in Hong Kong, I can, this company is very uh, stable, and there are clients, and I have staff, and you know it will be uh, interesting to see if I can, you know, set up a branch over there or somewhere else. You never know. 
Well, look forward to seeing that. Uh, Ambrose, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds to share your story. I'm sure there's there's much more we could talk about. Um, perhaps we'll catch up with you again in a couple of months' time and see see how you're tracking. Um, yeah. Mate, um, good to chat. Please keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon. Likewise. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.